I'm Steve Harding. I haven't seen y'all in two months. <laughs> I've been on sabbatical, and it's been a great thing. And it's one of those things that this church offers as ministers, and not many churches do, but it does give a time to sort of do something different than your everyday stuff. Apparently, I don't travel very much because when I pulled out my suitcase for one of the trips I went on, the tag from my last sabbatical airline was still on it. So I probably need to get out of town a little bit more often for that. This is our last in a series that we've been doing of biblical one another commands. We've talked about love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, accept one another. And this week we're doing be humble to one another. So let's see what the scripture has to say about that. So I invite you to take your Bible, um, if your um, mobile device. One of the conferences I went to, they said, take out your Bible or your paper Bible. They expected everybody in the room to have a phone or something. So take out your paper Bible, your electronic Bible, whatever works, to Philippians. It's in the New Testament, one of the small books sort of near the back. Philippians 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 and following. We'll look at the first seven to begin with, and then we'll come back for some more. So this is Philippians 2, 1 through 7. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that with Christ Jesus, who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And then hold on to that, and we'll come back to the rest of it in just a little bit. But Jesus became humble. He showed us the example of what it's like to be humble. Michael was talking about people who are not humble, who are not show-offs, um, or are show-offs. And that's hard to do in this day of social media. You look on Facebook or Instagram or any of the other formats, and you can see where parents post about their kid got an 87 on their math test, or I went 28 hours without coffee. I had the best dinner tonight. Look how happy me and my friends are. So we think about all those types of things that happen with that. I found a post on Facebook, though, that talks about maybe we should look at our lives a little bit differently. Imagine this. It says, you're holding a cup of coffee when someone comes along and bumps into you, making you spill your coffee everywhere. Now, why did you spill the coffee? You spilled the coffee because the coffee was in your cup. Had there been tea in your cup, you would have spilled tea. The point is, whatever's inside the cup is what will spill out. Therefore, when life comes along and shakes you, which will happen, whatever is inside you will come out. It's easy to fake it until you get rattled, shaken, or bumped into. So we have to ask ourselves, what is in my cup? When life gets tough, what spills out? Does anger, bitterness, harsh words, and reactions come out? Or does joy, gratefulness, peace, and humility spill out? You choose. Today, let's work to filling our cups with gratitude, forgiveness, joy, words of affirmation, kindness, gentleness, and love for others. Found that on Facebook, but it's pretty close to what the scripture has to say as well. What do we do with what we've got in our cup, and how do we share that to the rest of the world? 
Now, I like Facebook because it lets me keep up with different people, but there's a lot of silly stuff that comes up on Facebook, and it's amazing what people have to say. I decided on my sabbatical that I would post where I was. I'd check in different places, basically so people know that I wasn't dead, since I was far away from everybody. And I had a lot of different travels there in my sabbatical, and I got to see lots of places where people are humble. I went to a conference in Nashville to see how other creative and technical folks make worship happen, what equipment they have, what technology they use, how they tell stories, and things like that. I went to a broadcast expo and a sound technician expo in New York City, and I saw what types of equipment are available out there, what things can be used and how it can be used in a new and different way. I preached at my sister's church in rural North Carolina, and I also, the polar opposite, attended church at a big cathedral in New York City. I spent time in a monastery in silence in upstate New York and traveled to the northernmost part of the continental United States to go full circle in my ministry. And that's where the title of the sermon comes, Full Circle for Humility. So I'd like to share a few things that happened while I was on my sabbatical. I did go to New York City. I like New York City, but I don't think I want to live there. It's just a little too crowded and dirty for me. But I decided that I would go see some Broadway shows after the expo. The expo would end like at 6 o'clock, so I had time to go do things. So I got to see um, King Kong, 20 feet tall, come out over the audience. I got to go on a magic carpet ride. I went to two different plays where couples fell in love. And I had a sister save the day from a frozen mishap. So a lot of different things happened in the show. But I stayed in Brooklyn, and I would had to take the subway back to the hotel. And two different things happened when I was on the subway. One night, we're going along, and the train stops, and it's a little weird. Only one of the doors opened up, and that was strange. And so some folks were trying to get off the train, and then there were folks trying to get on the train. And there was this gentleman, and he was giving this lady all types of grief because she wasn't getting on the train. And she was like, there are people getting off. And I was like, uh-oh, this is not going to turn out well. So they finally got on the train, and the man was still giving her grief. And I'm like, I'm going to be in the middle of a fight in New York City. So I'm just standing there outside the door. Well, we sat there for a really long time, and then this gentleman, somebody who works on the subway system, came in and did some stuff with the doors and all this type of stuff. And the guy who was giving Lady Grief, he had puffed up and was hanging on to both sides of the rail, and I'm like, oh, he's troubled. Well, then we found out that what had happened was it was a trainee driver, a student driver learning how to drive the train, and he had overshot the station, which apparently is a big no-no. And so what's going to happen to him is he had to go back to school. He lost his job. And the guy who was training him, he was going to be put on probation for two days. So I'm like, okay, you're training this guy somebody new, and you get in trouble and lose your pay. Not a good thing at all. The surprising thing was the guy who was all puffed up, he got really quiet. And he was like, that's not fair. And he was all bent out of shape now that this guy was going to lose part of his job. And so it was a total about face right there on the subway. He became humble at that point when he knew the entire story. Now, another day going down to the subway station, I went to the same station every day from the hotel, and there was this gentleman asleep in the hallway, and he was there a couple of days, and then um, one day he was standing up, and let me back up the story just a step. The night before I'd gone to a presentation with part of the expo, and the gentleman sitting in front of me, his, um, I'm trying to figure out how to say this delicately, his pants had creeped down a little bit, and I had a full view of something I didn't want to see. And so I'm like trying not to look and pay attention and all this stuff. It was really bad, but then walking to the subway the next day, the gentleman who had been asleep, he stood up, 
he was about this big around and his pants didn't fit him. And again, I saw something I didn't want to see. And it was like, what do you do in that situation? How can you fix something like that? I don't have a way to give this man pants that fit or a job or anything like that. I didn't know what to do. And then that night, I was coming back from the show and there was a, two gentlemen sitting on the side of the road panhandling and one of them had passed out and I don't know why, but his pants had slipped down as well. I'm like, please stop. <laughs> but what was interesting was his buddy was the one pulling back up his pants. That's a humble thing to do pull up somebody else's pants when they're falling down. And so I was really amazed at how people help other people as well. While I was gone, I also went back to the monastery in upstate New York. I'd been there three times, two times before, so this was the third trip. But it was a little different this time, because usually I go in July and it's summertime. Well, going in November, it's quite different. It's dark. The sun doesn't come up till 7 o'clock. It goes down at 4.30. So it was dark most of the time I was there. So getting up at 3.07 to get to the 3.30 prayer time, it was really hard to do. But I got up one day and I made it. And then they have another prayer at 6 o'clock. And during that one, the stained glass windows behind the church, they light up because the sun comes up over the mountain. And that was a really cool thing to see happen every day. And it was really interesting to go at the end of the night to the last prayer and have the priest do the little thing where he does the holy water on you. And even as a Baptist, he still did it for me. And I didn't burn or anything, so we're all good. <laughs> so um, it was a really neat experience to see all that happen up there in the monastery. Well, they added something new this year. This monastery bakes bread as the way to fund their monastery and their ministry. And not just a little bit of bread. They do like 3,000 loaves of bread a day. I mean, it's a big, huge production. And they've changed it now so that the folks who are on retreat can go there and, get, and work in the bakery. So I saw the notice, so I called the monk on his cell phone. They're not that far out in the boondocks. So I called him on his cell phone, he had me come, and we made these cheese crisps. And they're just a little disc of cheese that's been melted in the oven. And they are really good. Now this day that I was there, they were doing cheese for some other company, and it was like really good cheese, like $20 a pound. I'm usually the Walmart $1.45 for the American slices, so this was really fancy cheese for me. So, but it was almost like the I Love Lucy episode where they have the chocolate, and it keeps coming faster and faster, and so the cheese is coming, and we're shaking it and making little piles and doing stuff, and I'm standing beside this 87-year-old monk who's just like, da-da-da-dun, da-da-da-dun, and I'm like, what am I doing? How does this work? And so he had been there for 40 years, 40 years of getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning, praying through all the Psalms every month, and doing his job. And he said he did it because it, he was always in God's presence. And I thought that was a really great way to do it. And I, you could feel that. They don't talk a lot, but they would talk periodically. And that afternoon, we went back and we were packaging up these cheese crisps. And I was working with two monks who can't walk. They have little walkers to get them in and out. So I became the feet and the legs for the monk. I moved the packages around and did all that type of stuff. <clears throat> and one of the monks was helping, and he had a big tray of the cheese crisps, and he went to put them in the rack and didn't realize that there was already a tray in there. So when he pushed his in, it pushed the other one out onto the ground. Well, the guy who was in charge, he just went, oh, calmly walked over there, picked up the ones that hadn't hit the floor, moved the other ones away, I can't confirm it, but he probably put the five-second rule into play for those, and we might would have tried some, I'm not sure, 
um, and they were really good. But instead of going all berserk, he was very humble and just fixed the problem and didn't say anything to the other monk who messed up. It was all just nice and calm and humble. And then the last sort of segment that I did was some stuff with college students. I figured out that I was in college for 12 years. Now that's three degrees, so it's not too bad. Um, but I was in college for 12 years, and part of what I did over the sabbatical is I had a reunion with students from the Baptist Student Union at ECU, where I was interned for three years, and got to see that these kids were now pastors and teachers, deacons and artists. And we remembered that right after 9-11, six months afterwards, we went up to New York and worked with folks who had lost everything during that event. And so I went back to where that ground zero was. They've got the new memorial there. And it was really neat to see all the stuff and to see everything that was there. But the artifacts were just interesting. But what really got to me were the voices that they had. They had recordings of people in the towers. They had voices, recordings of the people who were the first responders. And those stories were the gut-wrenching ones. Those were the things that messed me up when I was there. So going back to where college students had given up of their time, had humbled themselves and went to help others, was really meaningful to me. Also with that, um, I went up to upstate Maine. I went to the northernmost point of the continental United States, to the zero-mile marker of US-1. And the reason I went there is when I was a college student, I had a summer job, and it was in the worst place possible. Miami Beach, Florida. I had to suffer for Jesus for 10 weeks during the summer in Miami. It was a great experience. Worked with the church down there, um, had all types of great experiences. And we went and saw other summer missionaries and went to Key West. So I saw the zero mile marker in Key West and then I saw the other end. And so that's sort of a circle for my life to realize college students do some pretty cool things. And I was glad that I got to do that. I got to drive through the um, the hills of Maine, over, and up, up, over mountains and down mountains. It snowed. I've had my snow for the year. Um, as I was driving up there, there was two hours that I was driving 30 miles an hour on the interstate. Not fun, but it was just pure white snow coming down. I also saw two moose. It was a mama moose and a baby moose, I guess. The baby moose was smaller, obviously, but was as big as my car. So luckily, they stayed on the side of the road, and I just drove on for that. Um, so it's a small world everywhere that you go. You see all types of different things that happen with that. Now I have to admit that while I was driving up in Maine and driving through the snow, I turned on the satellite radio to the Christmas station. Now I know you're not supposed to listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, and in the church you're not supposed to listen to Christmas music to Christmas Day. Everything's supposed to be Advent. So I confess, I listen to Christmas music. And it was really cool to be listening to Winter Wonderland as you're driving through a Winter Wonderland. Um, and so it was really neat to see what was happening there and to see all those types of things. So I love Christmas time. I love the things that happened there. And I found this other thing online. It's 1 Corinthians 13, but it's the Christmas version. Let me read that to you. If I decorate my house perfectly with plaid bows, strands of twinkling lights, and shiny balls, but do not show love to my family, I am just another decorator. If I slave away in the kitchen, baking dozens of Christmas cookies, preparing gourmet meals, and arranging a beautifully adorned table at mealtime, but do not show love, I'm just another cook. If I work at the soup kitchen, carol in the nursing home, and give all that I have to charity, but do not show love to my family, it profits me nothing. 
If I trim the spruce with shimmering angels and crocheted snowflakes, attend a myriad of holiday parties and sing in the choir's cantata, but do not focus on those I love the most, I've missed the point. In other words, love stops the cooking to hug a child. Love sets aside the decorating to kiss a spouse. Love is kind, though harried and tired. Love doesn't envy another's home that has coordinated Christmas china and table linens. Love doesn't yell at the kids to get out of the way, but is thankful that they are there to be in the way. Love doesn't give only to those who are able to give in return, but rejoices in giving to those who can't. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Video games will break, pearl necklaces will be lost, golf clubs will rust, but the gift of love will endure. I always think about my favorite Christmas song, which is, Do You Hear What I Hear? Now, it's not really biblically sound. What happens in the song doesn't happen in the Bible, but the story is pretty neat. So I want you all to take just a moment and watch a video of a group um, singing in this song, Do You Hear What I Hear?
we go back to the scripture in Philippians and look at the next few verses, starting with verse 8, you'll see, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that is the name of Je- and at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus humbled himself. He became like us and showed us how to live. Amen.